When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. You guys, welcome to episode 129 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives in the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality television stars and Disney starlets and uh, Instagram models and yacht girls and all that. <laughs> it's me, Troy McKeady. And uh, as promised, we are doing a Justin and Selena, I never know what to call this, uh, a chapter um, series. I guess it's a series. We're delving into the world of Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez. And I don't know if I would go as far as to say I'm excited just because it's going to be so much fucking work. Huh, this just seems like it's going to be, I mean, I'm, to be honest, almost even more work than Beyonce and Jay. Because Beyonce and Jay-Z are private and they don't, they don't, Jay-Z and Beyonce don't have public scandals. If they do, it's like once every few years and it's a massive deal and then it goes away. Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez have public scandals on a weekly basis and Justin Bieber spent you know, like seven years of his life, literally publicly spiraling out of control, where Selena Gomez did the same thing behind closed doors. So it's just like a lot. It's hard to kind of choose what to talk about and what not to talk about and what's important and what's not. And it's like, do I want to talk about Justin egging that person's house? Do I want to talk about Justin, you know, uh, spray painting this kid's car? Does that matter? Does it not? Like, it's just a lot, you know, but I am excited about it. And um, I'm excited to talk about a male pop star in this, this intensely, because we talk about female pop stars all the time. And Justin was sort of presented with a completely different set of rules than, you know, the average female pop star, things that we don't really get to talk about very often. So it's interesting. Um, and then when it comes to Selena Gomez, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about this, but with her, it's like one of the things I'm the most fascinated by is how she's sort of able to, I don't know, how her team sort of controls her image, the way that her reputation is presented to the public. And, you know, she's out here wiling out like a, like a young Lindsay Lohan, but she doesn't have the image of a young Lindsay Lohan. She's still, you know, a role model and somebody that people look up to and don't really make fun of and she isn't judged for how much she drinks and the fact that she's been in and out of rehab and that she's had these issues with alcohol and um I don't know it's crazy I've never really seen anything like it I, I I truthfully don't understand it um I'm trying to think of anything I need to say before we get started oh I was gonna tell you so obviously the past couple weeks or maybe like month or so um I've gotten kind of sidetracked with the episodes because they've all been kind of intense. The Beyonce thing really knocked me out. And I haven't forgotten about the mailbag, but I'm actually happy that we haven't done it yet because you guys have been DMing me so much stuff 
in reference to these fake couples and these fake relationships um, that I want to keep it open for a little bit longer. So send me stuff still. Send me stuff to smushroompod at gmail.com. Um, like I said, voice notes, emails, uh, you can, I mean, it doesn't matter. You can send me literally whatever you want. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, <laughs> uh, you know, couples that you think could possibly be fake, maybe couples that I missed couples that you think I'm wrong about. I would love to hear that. I would love to hear your arguments as to why I am misinformed about a couple that I thought was maybe fake, whatever you want. You know, it doesn't matter. But yeah, uh, I've just I've there's been like an uh, an, an influx of like of DMs and stuff in reference to these couples post the fake couple episode. So I feel like I should keep it open because you guys seem to have a lot to say about that. Anyway, I think we should go ahead and get started because there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of pages of notes to get through. Um, Before we even begin, like I said, this is obviously going to be several parts. I'm not going to give you a number because it's a fool's game at this point to even try. I learned that the hard way with Beyonce and Jay. I don't know how long this will be. It may be eight parts. It may be three. I have no idea. What I can tell you is that I'm very overwhelmed and I legitimately need for you to pray for me. Mostly because when it comes to people like Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez, a lot of what's presented to us via the media is such bullshit like, none of it's real when they're really young. You know, it, it takes years for us to start seeing genuine headlines about these kids. So, you know, for, like, maybe four or five full years, like, there's not a, a, a morsel of actual fact out there about them. And that's frustrating when you're trying to do a podcast about real information and not, like, Justin and Selena responded at SeaWorld feeding dolphins last week. Are they hot and heavy? Like, I'm not, that's not what this podcast is. You know what I mean? So it's difficult, but um, I have I've have found some very interesting information that I think you guys will enjoy. And, you know, I struggled with who to start with for this episode because there's no, there, there's like so much going on with both of them. And they also sort of dip in and out of each other's lives so much but I do think there's a codependency happening there, like almost like a trauma-based codependency. And I think they have a very like Caitlyn and Tyler relationship in a sense that, you know, it's like they know all of each other's secrets. They were placed together during a really traumatic time, teenage fame. Like I can't picture anything worse. And I'm sure they felt a shared sort of hot potato responsibility to protect each other from the seedy people that they've been surrounded by since they were like 12 and 13 years old. And obviously actually probably way younger. Um, you know, and these are all people that are like taking advantage of them. And so they're then having to kind of throw each other under the bus for publicity during certain points of their lives for album sales. And, you know, they have shaky at best support systems. Like Selena was really, pushed into stardom by her mother because they were broke and Justin's mom is I mean she's basically Piper Laurie's character in Carrie not even kidding like his mom is Carrie's mom <laughs> they're not that much different she's a fucking psychopath a true bible thumping woman with no mental stability in sight and uh at no fault of her own you know we'll talk but it's sad like 
I've only done a little bit of research about them because we're only on the first part of this, but I, I'm leaving it feeling, I feel sad for these two, you know? Um, I also, by the way, want to do this because I feel like Justin Bieber is very quickly approaching that sort of fame that we've talked about many, many times in this podcast where he's now like a meme, right? Like Justin Bieber is a meme. He's somebody to make fun of. He's somebody that it's very easy to villainize. Like it's, it's, it's easy right now to make fun of Justin Bieber. He looks a fucking mess. He's obviously not in a great place mentally. I don't know why, and this is obviously stuff we'll talk about later, but I don't know why he's doing a a, a press cycle right now. I, I, I really cannot believe that he is doing a traditional album cycle. And if he was going to do an album cycle, I would expect that at this point in his life, it would be something untraditional. I wouldn't expect him to go on the new TRL and give, you know, these canned bullshit responses to questions that he's been asked since he was 12 i would expect this like new age version of justin bieber to be you know a little bit more authentic with the press and the public at this point um it's just very odd and i don't he doesn't he doesn't seem like he should be doing this i don't think justin bieber should be out there talking to cameras right now i really don't he doesn't seem well to me and to a lot of people but it does scare me for him because, like I said, he he is approaching that that he isn't approaching it. He is at the point in his in his fame now where he's like he's a meme. Like Justin Bieber is a meme. He's somebody that's easy for people to make fun of, and it's really sad because he's been through. I mean, this kid has just been fucking put through it. He really is like an elephant man, uh, former child star at this point. He's void of all you know, normal emotional responses. I think that he is extremely triggered by his fan base. I, you know what I mean? I, I think that he resents his fame in a, in a, a, a major way. I think the sounds of screaming girls is a major trigger for him. And I just feel really bad for him. Like he's like a caged animal and, you know, I just not to be like cheesy or whatever, but like, I would caution you to, like, refrain from, like, making fun of Justin Bieber right now. It's like, you know what I mean? I feel like we're going to look back in, like, 10 years and be like, oh, we were assholes in the same exact way that we look back on 2007 and 6 and 5 and just shake our heads at ourselves. Like, what the fuck was wrong with us? You know what I mean? Anyway, Justin, to me, is such a pure example of what it means to be a pop star. To the point that he almost feels like a parody of himself to me. You know, he he very publicly fell into every cliche that someone in his position could. And, you know, these are now sort of definitive markers in his career. We all know, like, there's like floppy hair, purple shirt wearing Justin. And uh, there's haircut Justin and shirtless Justin and bad boy with tattoos Justin. Tattoos. And, um, as expected, he's now this, like, shell of his former self, and I know that Justin just publicly came forward and said that he was battling Lyme disease or whatever, but I also think, you know, him looking disheveled and unbathed with that creepy mustache, I almost think that it's, like, sort of a passive-aggressive rebellious act. Like, it's very, you don't own me, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) 
don't tell him what to do and don't tell him what to say. It's very that to me, you know, because it's like as somebody in his position, he doesn't have there's not really much he can do to like give a fuck you to the to the public. Right. But what he can do is not be pretty. He cannot appear to be a heartthrob anymore. He can perform on SNL with a trucker mustache and and big, like, baggy, gross pants and, like, a Hanes big and tall t-shirt just to say fuck you to the people that have been, you know, romanticizing him and sexualizing him since he was a kid. I mean, that's something that he can do. And in my opinion, it's what he's doing. I don't think Justin Bieber is going through a Lee Dungaree phase. I think <laughs> I think it's a little bit more intentional. I also consider Justin to be a pop star cliche in the sense that he has a really riveting origin story, which is totally necessary for a pop star, right? We've talked about this before. Um, when you think about it, every pop star needs a story that reads like a short, sort of like easy to digest novel. The story needs to be memorable enough that it's easy to recite. And for that reason, they'll just fucking, you know, pump it down our throats in magazines and biographies and true Hollywood stories and television interviews. And it can all be total bullshit, but it is necessary because it makes it easier for the public to know how and why they should support you and give you all their money. What makes you different than that other kid with bangs? Why, you know, why am I giving you all of my coin? What's your gig? You know what I mean? Maybe you relate to the story of a young, like, multi-talented boy from Canada who was discovered on YouTube and from there was able to follow all of his dreams. And with the help of some industry legends, you know, they just knew he had what it took to become a world-famous star, blah, blah, blah. Um, It's how we've all been programmed to get to know these people. And if you think about it, you most likely can recite the origin story of your favorite pop stars. Especially the ones that you loved growing up, the ones that you, you know, on in your free time would read, you know, biographies about just for the hell of it, just because you wanted to memorize everything you possibly could about them. And they know that you do that. They know that teenagers do weird shit like that and they cater to it. And you know that I can. I mean, I've, I've made that very clear on the podcast that, uh, you know, that I have all that shit recited in my head for when I was, you know, 12 years old reading those magazines obsessively. And it's just, it's part of like being a young person. You know what I mean? Um, being brainwashed. <laughs> Britney Spears was born in Kentwood, Louisiana in 1981 and grew up balling crawfish and crawdads with her mammy and pappy. And she had a knack for baton twirling and, and dancing. And it's not like you don't see this with film stars and television stars, but it's it's mandatory for a pop star. A pop star has to have a story. You know what I mean? Taylor Swift grew up on a in a on a Christmas tree farm and was playing at the Grand Ole Opry when she was twelve. Katy Perry was raised Catherine uh, Hudson and grew up performing at her evangelical church and strumming her guitar. She wanted to be a folk singer until she broke free from the chains of her church and her Bible Belt community. Like that riveting tale is what sells records. And these stories are obviously crafted by record executives, but they of course leave out the parts where Justin was being given an unlimited amount of drugs whenever he wanted and was surrounded by skeevy industry people who were taking advantage of him in every way possible. 
and that his first relationship was set up by executives and exploited by adults for 10 years. You know, it's somehow all that stuff gets left out. But the fact that he was strumming his guitar on the steps of theaters and the streets with an open guitar case is uh, is one that you'll hear time and time again. And as we all know, Justin was raised in Stratford, Ontario. His dad, Jeremy Bieber, and his mom, Patty, were super young when they had him. His dad walked out on them before he was born. So he and his mom basically grew up together. Um, speaking of his mom, we do have to talk about Patty for a second. Justin Bieber also has such a cliched pop origin in the sense that he comes from an extremely broken home, which is typical of, I mean, almost every child star you'll ever see, as we've talked about. It's much easier to control and take advantage of a child star who has a family that's super fucked up and broken and is already using them and doesn't care about them and is willing to sell them and, uh, exploit them and and let people steal their money and take advantage of them and you know rain them dry unless you're Beyonce you most likely come from a fucked up background if you're a child in the industry um and it's not even like it was all peaches and cream for her either thanks to a bloated Matthew Knowles Justin's mom wrote a book called Nowhere But Up that was distributed by this Christian publishing house where She detailed her truly horrific upbringing. Um, As a child, she said that she was molested and raped by a male babysitter and a friend's grandfather starting at age four, which progressed to family members and family friends and neighborhood kids all, you know, raping her regularly to the point that she thought that this was just like a normal thing that was happening to other girls her age. And she started self-medicating to cope with the amount of abuse that she was facing. She started drinking nonstop. She was smoking weed all day. Um, At one point, I think she said that she was doing acid every day, which is fucking insane. Um, She started shoplifting. She was stealing cars. In the book, she wrote about starting a fire in the bathroom of her high school and being kicked out. Just, like, classic, like, lifetime movie, bad teenage shit, you know? So she attempted suicide on several occasions, and one in particular where she threw herself into oncoming traffic and got hit by a truck. And it's hard to even, you know, allow yourself to go to a place where, you know, you're so depressed that you physically throw yourself in front of a car and pray that it runs you over, like... We've all thought about things like that, just like in hindsight, and anybody that tells you they haven't is lying to you. But to actually follow through with throwing your body into a moving vehicle is just like a, it's unimaginable to sort of, uh, to allow your brain to go there. And it's really sad. Now, depending on what you read and who you read it from, Some publications will say that she got hit by the car and then afterwards she found God because she came to and she was so lucky and blessed to be alive. And, uh, you know, she had been through so much, but with all of his blessings and mercy, she was able to survive, whatever. But the realty is that she suffered an indescribable amount of brain damage that landed her in the hospital, in the mental hospital. And she became an obsessive evangelical right after the car accident 
And when I say evangelical, I mean like Jesus Camp, Katy Perry's parents, evangelical, dancing for the flesh. If you know that reference, <laughs> I love you. You're my people. Like Jesus Camp, like real fucking evangelical. She even writes in the book that when she feels that she's lost her connection to God, she prays to him and the following day, some person presents themselves and this happens, she claims all the time that she'll, you know, have a, a weekend or like a week where she maybe doesn't feel like she's in touch with God and then she'll pray and she has such an intense connection to him personally um, on speed dial that he will then send her a stranger that walks up to her and says, um, just so you know, like, I know that you don't feel close to God right now, but he actually is, in fact, he's here for you. And that's the thing that constantly reinstates her, uh, her mercy. I don't, I don't know. But she's claiming that people walk up to her every other day on the street and say, he's here, he's watching, God loves you. And maybe they do now because they know that she's Justin Bieber's mom and that this is like a thing that she looks for. I don't know. But that's obviously insane. You guys know how much time I spend scouring the internet for information that is truly none of my business. And because of that, I occasionally, and by occasionally, I mean every 10 to 15 minutes, need a little bit of a mental retreat, which is why this week I've partnered with Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a five-star strategy puzzle game that I can 100% guarantee will have you hooked within the first five minutes of playing. The puzzles are challenging enough that they'll wake you up during a midday slump, but casual enough that literally anyone can play. Like many of you, I'm the type of person that will mindlessly scroll around on social media if I have nothing better to do, and having this game on my phone has made those idle moments feel much more productive. And the kicker is that you don't even need an internet connection to play it, which makes it ideal for short rides home on the train or long plane rides to some far off destination. I played this game for the first time a few days ago in between doing research for this episode and let's just say I'm now on level 35 and there's truly no end in sight for me. Engage your brain with puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. But anyway, she ends up having Justin at like 17 years old. Her mom, I think she actually may have been 16. Her mom forbids her from raising Justin in her home because she doesn't want to take care of this baby. And Jeremy Bieber is in and out of their lives whenever he feels like it. So she ends up moving into a home for pregnant teenagers with Justin. And from there, she was able to afford an apartment and, you know, she had a, a lot of help from charity and like assistance. So fast forward a few years, Justin's mom decides to start a YouTube channel for her rambunctious son, who A, is obsessed with all things music related and B, cannot stop singing and drumming everything in sight. So originally, their YouTube channel was intended for family. She said that, she wanted them to be able to see Justin's progression with guitar and piano and drums. And it was just an easier way for them to all collectively see it. So they all shared, they had like, they shared this YouTube channel basically as a family. And that eventually led to videos being posted in other places. You know, people saying like, oh my God, check out my nephew. He's so good. Check out my grandson. He's such an amazing singer. And that led to, oh my God, look at this kid, look how good he is. He's such a good drummer. 
and his videos became viral. They had people messaging them and reaching out to them and saying, oh my God, you know, please post another video. You haven't posted in a week. Like, is Justin better with drums? Justin is such an incredible singer. Please post something else. He had an internet fan base, basically. Um, this, of course, led to a man named Scooter Braun viewing a video of Justin singing Respect by Aretha Franklin. And according to Braun, he had just come home from like a night out. He was a little bit drunk. He went out with his friends. Somebody sent him this video and after he viewed it, he went down the whole list. And I think, I want to say it was a video of him singing Neo. I think that's like the one. Most believers will tell you that that's like the video that like really changed his life was him singing Neo. And uh, that was the one. Like that was the one that got Scooter to reach out to them. Now, before this, Scooter Braun had dropped out of college to become the head of marketing for So So Deaf. Um, at the request of Jermaine Dupree. And he had also, I didn't know this about him, but he had also become known as a Hollywood party planner and like an event coordinator. And he specialized in these really big budget, like after parties for Hollywood events. So after parties for like concerts and award shows and sports events. For example, he was in charge of the 2003 NBA All-Star after party. And he also uh, coordinated the after parties for Britney's Onyx Hotel tour. So he was the guy that these celebrities or like the, these teams would reach out to and say like, hey, so-and-so is performing in Las Vegas. Can you plan the VIP party event afterwards? So Scooter reaches out to Patty and basically begs her to move to the U.S. from Canada. No strings attached, like nothing contractual. Just come out here and we'll figure it out. So they discuss the possibility of signing Justin to a label and writing an album for him. At the same time, Justin had become this like YouTube sensation in his own right. Like no, you know, nobody promoting him on his own with his mom. He had hundreds of thousands of people watching his YouTube channel, which was a big deal at this time. So he and his mom were doing a lot of like local all access television interviews. And in one of them, she actually talks about Justin being... At the time, the number one most subscribed to mu musician on YouTube in Canada and the 20th in the world, which is insane when you think about it. Like a little boy and his mom posting videos with like a Sony Pixel camera and he has 200,000 people following him on the internet. It's crazy. And this is obviously pre-YouTube being the platform that it is today. So this really actually meant something. You know, we talked about this a little bit during the Beyonce episode in reference to single ladies. In 2020, people eating like Korean fried cheese gets 20 million views and it means nothing except for the person gets a sponsorship from a water bottle company and maybe they're able to like release a line of noodles or something. Like that's where we are now. But in 2007, it was major to post a video on YouTube and see it reach a million views. It meant that the video actually was having some sort of cultural impact, like some substantial impact on society. Whereas like now, like the Dolan twins can get 7 million views on a video of them swapping shirts for the day to see what happens. And nobody older than 22 even knows who the fuck they are. It's also worth mentioning that Justin Bieber was the first true cultural sensation to come out of YouTube. Like we've never really seen 
up to that point, we had never seen someone use this platform to become as famous as he ended up becoming. And it created an entire subculture of people who used YouTube and continue to use YouTube today to become famous. And that was a, that was like the original Justin origin story, right? When he first came out that, you know, the one that he had to like repeat over and over and over and over in interviews until it spread like wildfire, like really, you know, spread the word that you came from YouTube and that you came from nothing and you and your mom did this on your own and that she's a single parent. Like that was his, that was his get, you know? He was this normal kid who just loved drumming and he loved guitar and piano and singing. And uh, he decided at a certain point that he wanted to become a star and he wanted the world to know what he was good at. So he sat on the steps of the Avon Theater. He opened up a guitar case with a heart full of dreams and blah, blah, blah. And I really hope it doesn't seem like I'm trying to belittle the magnitude of Justin Bieber's early career because it literally is fucking crazy. We've never seen anything like it. Up to that point, we'd never seen anything like it. And we've seen a million things like it now because, like I said, he created an entire category in the music industry. Like, he literally created a new category of talent in the industry. He is, without any question, one of the most influential artists in music history, whether you like that or not. Whether you like his music or not, whether you support him or not, whether you think he's a good person or a terrible person, his impact on pop culture has been uh, remarkable, honestly. And I mean, I went back and watched those old videos on YouTube of him strumming his guitar and I felt all kinds of things. Seeing a, a 12, 11 year old Justin Bieber, so talented, strumming the fuck out of his guitar on those steps and you know, not knowing what was in store for him. It, 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 there's something about it that's actually also really sad. I feel this a lot of times when I look at YouTube videos of uh, of child stars right before they hit it big because they're so naive and they're so just vulnerable and open. And Justin just looks so, he looks like a little like precious moments doll that you're just like, oh, sweetie. You have no idea the wrath of hell that is coming your way. Like, the criticism and the drugs and the fucking seedy, creepy chicken hawks around you. Like, it's, you know, it's just crazy. It's crazy. So, I just want to make that point. Like, I'm not trying to belittle this. I'm just saying everything that is wholesome and and means something great is taken and twisted and turned into a Rubik's Cube by the industry. So according to legend, according to ancient uh, Chinese folklore, Justin flew to Atlanta to meet with Scooter and was informed that Justin Timberlake wanted to mentor him and that he had been, you know, watching his videos and that he wanted to make him a star. But Usher was also interested, which led to this bidding war between labels. So Usher eventually won, of course, which led to Scooter and Usher creating Raymond Braun Media Group, aka RBMG, in conjunction with Def Jam, specifically for Justin. So that means they had so much faith in this kid's talent that they created a label based around his guaranteed success, which is fucking insane. So in the very first MTV News article ever written about Justin, they said, 
Justin Bieber is poised to become uh, pop music's next big thing thanks to his rabid internet fan base. At age 15, he's already sought after by Justin Timberlake and Usher. Usher eventually won the label bidding war and signed the young artist, who has more than 200,000 fans on Twitter. A uh, quote from Justin, he said, My manager found me on YouTube and he actually flew me out to Atlanta uh, for the first time. I was going to the studio to meet with some people and Usher happened to roll up in his Range Rover. I ran up to him and I was like, Usher, I love your music. I'm such a big fan. Uh, want me to sing? F- uh, want me to sing you one? And in the p- most polite way possible, he said no. Um, I took the hint and I didn't get to sing for him and he had to run to a studio session. He actually watched my videos and was like, man, I should have let this kid sing for me. So he flew back or he flew me back to Atlanta. I got to sing for him. And then a week later, I had a meeting with Justin Timberlake and they both wanted to sign me. Now, if you allow yourself to go back to 2009, you'll recall. And uh, we've already talked about this a little bit on the episode, but you'll recall that there weren't really any hugely successful male pop solo artists. And there hadn't been in years. And there was this massive, massive void. And that's probably why they wanted this kid so bad because it was like, ding, 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 nobody's doing this and they haven't in so long. And this is something that's always profitable. A a young heartthrob male pop artist, like there's nothing more guaranteed than that. If puberty is still happening to teenage girls and that is something that will make money. And I'm when I say that, I'm not talking like guitar strumming, like flip-flop wearing SoCal guys like Ryan Cabrera or, by the way, I just did like, as I said Ryan Cabrera's name my fingers went idle and I started plucking a guitar like I don't know what just happened but I'm really happy that this isn't on video but guys like Ryan Cabrera and Jason Mraz um that's not I mean like a purely unapologetic pop star heartthrob like Swedish sugar teen beat bangs kid And for the hell of it, I went ahead and looked up the top 100 artists uh, of 2009, according to Billboard, just to see what the music climate was at the time. And I realized that there was nowhere for young teenage girls to actually harness their energy. You had people like Miley, you had Britney, you had the All-American Rejects, uh, Jason Mraz, Black Eyed Peas, Gaga, Kings of Leon, Green Day, Rihanna, Coldplay, no girl groups, really, um, no boy bands. And as I said before, there were no male solo artists. So I, again, I think that that had a lot to do with why Justin had such a meteoric success so quickly, because if you think about it for a particular age, for girls of a particular age, they never really had the experience at this point of chasing a pop star through the mall or hysterically crying at a concert because their heart is filled with so much emotion or, uh, you know, staring at a poster or something in their bedroom and legitimately working themselves into a state of like manic delusion where they think that they're like dating a poster. You know what I mean? Justin was the answer to this unnoticed void. And I can't imagine the amount of pressure that this kid felt. And I feel like I said this already. By the way, I had like stopped recording this an hour or so ago and then I'm doing it again. So if I'm repeating things, don't judge me, okay? Vulnerable moment, behind the scenes, sausages made moment. I, re- I stopped recording and I'm back. I'm back, 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 back again. Um, 
But I don't know. I just think that that's so crazy that this kid, this 15 year old boy had this amount of pressure on him and this amount of money being thrown at him. And uh, I don't know. It's just crazy to me. Um, Justin released his first couple songs, One Time and One Less Lonely Girl, while they finished his debut album. And as expected, they blew the fuck up because teenage girls finally had a safe space to harness all of their hormonal, like, couch-humping energy. You know what I mean? Um, He was constantly compared to a young Chris Brown and was being called this generation's version of a 1970s-era Michael Jackson. He was literally talked about, like, you know, for the most part, people already knew he would have this long, fruitful career. Like, there was no debate on whether or not Justin Bieber would be this like one hit wonder or whatever it was just like our new icon which is also again so weird now we're 34 minutes into the episode and this is the part where I make an outrageous claim (laughs) we're here so clamp your wigs down gals and slide a couple bobby pins in to make sure that you don't suddenly feel your your wig cascade down your back or whatever from the tea I'm about to spill whatever um There are two things specifically that I want to focus on right now. First and foremost, I'd like to talk to you about this alleged contract between his family and his label. This is something I think really ravenous believers will have already read about from top to bottom with a magnifying glass for years. Um, I'm new to this information, but I also have never really studied Justin Bieber's like I don't know. I I only know the headlines. So like all of this is new for me. So during his debut, Justin immediately became the biggest pop star in the world, of course. And that's not an exaggeration. He was competing with artists that were like twice his age and had been in the game for a decade or longer. And you and I have spoken a great deal over the last few weeks about relationship contracts which we will for sure be getting into at some point, maybe even today, depending on how long this goes, because I don't really know how I'm breaking this up yet. But there's this website called Exposing SMG that, again, if you're a Justin Bieber fan, you've probably visited for years. It's kind of like World of Britney for me is the only thing I can really compare it to. Um, It's part blind item website, part fan site, part celebrity gossip. Uh, They specialize in Justin Bieber news, and they've exposed some pretty interesting information about him over the years. Um, They also hate Selena Gomez, like, with a burning passion. So you have to kind of take everything they say with a grain of sand. Grain of sand? That's not a saying, right? Take it with a grain of sand. That's not a thing. I take everything they say with a grain of sand, but um, they also have some really interesting, like, fact-finding information, like timelines and things like that. And I mean, basically, I couldn't do this episode without mentioning them because they are like a hub, like I said, of Justin Bieber information. And according to this site, when Justin was 16, a contract was presented to his parents by L.A. Reid that essentially stated Justin would need to do whatever they wanted him to do and release whatever music they wanted him to release at the moment they wanted it out. So that means no fighting with producers in the studio if you don't like the lyrics or, you know, wanting to change them or rewrite them. Um, No, you know, saying no to a meet and greet. 
no backing out of shows, no matter how many days in a row you're working and booked. Um, and whatever like propaganda they want you to spew during an interview, you've got to do it. So he basically was presented a, a like a life, uh, it was like a life clause. It was like a, he was signing his life away. Now, before this, Justin was known to travel with a small group of his hometown friends. Um, and a, uh, this girl that he was actually dating that he knew before he really blew up that um, like collaborated on a song with him on his first album. But he was very quickly um, becoming isolated and was more and more surrounded by like industry people and adults and whoever they told him to be seen with. Like he was really be very, very quickly becoming a product there was no transition or like gradual moment of him sort of easing into being a pop star all of a sudden he just was this massive sort of product that had no say over his life and his parents were also contractually obligated with the signing of this contract to do what they needed to do or what they needed them to do if that makes sense which meant you know if they needed patty to like go on a Good Morning America uh, appearance and mention Justin's new cologne or underwear line or whatever, um, she had to do it. And if she didn't, they could sue them and drop Justin from his contract, which obviously it's like insane that they would ever think with the amount of money that this kid was going to bring in for them. He really could, uh, he could have done whatever the fuck he wanted, but I'm sure that they at the time didn't know that. And he was what 15 years old. Um, but if they did what the team wanted them to do, they would all be financially taken care of. So that meant that basically what I'm trying to say is that Justin's parents were being paid to convince him to do things that the team wanted them to do. So his parents suddenly were being paid to parent him and not parent him in a genuine way, parent him as if his whole existence is based around the industry and his career and manipulating him into working more and working longer hours and not saying no. Justin Bieber's parents signed his human rights away with a contract that would ensure they got paid to do it, basically. And the other part of this that I want to bring up to you is something that has been spoken about. Now, this is something that I know about because it crosses my neck of the woods. This is like my my sort of a subset of the internet. It's something that I have read about for years and years and years. And the story has snowballed and gotten bigger and taken twists and turns and become all these different things. And it's something that won't come as any surprise to you um, if you're like a blind item person or someone who reads blogs like Lipstick Alley. Shout out to Liz Bentley. Um... But this is the part of the episode where you, like, dent your car. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is the part of the episode where you do um, cause some damage to your car that I'm sure insurance will take care of. So we should be fine. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Um, but this is going to be a lot for you to take in. I'm expecting lots of DMs. I, I know when I say certain things that you guys are going to reach out to me and be like, bitch, what the fuck? And this is one of those moments. So everyone knows that Usher was the one that, you know, sort of discovered Justin Bieber, really. That's, like, the story that's been told. Even though it was really Scooter Braun, and we all know that as well, but, like, the story is Usher gave Justin Bieber his career. It flew him to Atlanta, whatever. 
the part of the story that people don't often talk about is the year Justin spent sort of being, how do you, how would you put it? Um, moved around from house to house of all these executives and people that were like, um, in quotes, teaching him how to become a star. Now I told you to buckle your fucking wig down. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're, non-existent edges are starting to show because your wig is sliding back. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. If you go into work after listening to this and your wig is sitting halfway on the back of your head, <laughs> it's not my fault. I warned you. Clip it down. This is a lot. I would actually like to take things back all the way to the early 90s. So Usher is this 13-year-old kid, right, who's discovered in a very similar way to Justin by L.A. Reid. And Diddy was his protege. And he was invited at that time in his life to live in Diddy's home for a year while they recorded his debut album. And years later, Usher made an appearance in Howard Stern where he spoke for the first time about what actually went on during that time. And since then, he's spoken about this in several, you know, several different interviews. He's talked about it on Oprah and um, on an episode of Masterclass on OWN. Um, he mentions it and he's sort of spilled different little pieces and bits of it on different interviews. But I think Howard Stern was probably the most candid he had been about this uh, time in his life up to this point. So he basically says that Diddy told him, look. You're about to become a star and this industry can be pretty crazy. So I'm going to expose you to everything that you may or may not encounter so that you don't get caught up in what's presented to you when you have a bunch of money and freedom. And his way of, in quotes, protecting Usher from what may or may not be headed his way was to introduce him to all kinds of hallucinative drugs and cocaine and partying and VIP service at bars and nightclubs. This kid is 13 years old. And more importantly, orgies, nonstop orgies. Usher is 13. So he's taking him to nightclubs and strip clubs and letting him pop bottles and literally allowing Usher to take part in group sex that he, Diddy, a grown-ass man, was, like, hanging out and just watching happen and sometimes getting involved in as well. This is his way of protecting a 13-year-old boy. And there's actually this really funny video. Um, it's, I mean, it's, like, kind of, it's YouTube iconic. I think it's from, like, what, 2010 or 2011 or something. It's really old. And it's of Usher, Kevin Hart, and Diddy in a hotel room. Diddy is wasted, and Kevin Hart is interviewing him for some, like, blog or something. And Usher walks into the room, and Diddy goes, Oh, Usher, this is my brother. Like, Usher is my brother for life. I love this guy. I love Usher, blah, blah, blah. He's wasted, by the way. And he goes, I rem he's, like, sweaty. And he's like, I remember back in the day when he was, like, 13, and we would wake up together, and we'd eat cereal, and Usher looks like he wants to dive out of a fucking window. Kevin is making these hilarious faces. Um, it's horrifyingly uncomfortable. It's fucking awkward. And it's even crazier when you know 
that story because it's like, yeah, they probably were waking up in bed together and having cereal and, and watching cartoons because A, Usher was a child and B, the night before he was in a drug-induced sex orgy. So, yeah. Anyway, fast forward to Usher bringing Justin Bieber to LA. I'm sorry, to Atlanta to meet LA Reid for the first time to get him signed. So LA Reid is, you know, he's infatuated by Usher or fuck by Justin Bieber. Hope I'm not confusing it. Let me start over. Fast forward. Usher brings Justin Bieber to LA Reid for him to get signed. Because at the end of the day, LA Reid is still the person in control. And what do you know? Usher flies Justin out to Atlanta and invites him to live in his home for a little while to, you guessed it, teach him how to become a star and get him ready for what the industry has in store for him. And what I've learned about Hollywood is that the industry loves to turn people out when they're super young because it continues this undeniable cycle of abuse that's now gone on for literally over 100 years. And P.S., it doesn't stop there. It actually gets much worse. So after Usher has decided that he's taught Justin whatever it is that he thinks he needs to learn about, in quotes, becoming a star, like whatever the fuck that even means. I don't know what it is that you learn from living in somebody's house at 15 years old about becoming a star, but that's a really interesting way to put it to the press. And the fact that that's how Usher worded it when it's the same thing that happened to him however many years ago, it's just like a really weird fucked up cycle of abuse that is very common in Hollywood. So after Usher has taught him everything about Hollywood and what it's like to be a star, he then, you guessed it, sends him to live at Diddy's house. Usher sent Justin to live at Diddy's house for a few months. And one can only assume that a 15-year-old Justin Bieber, actually probably 14 at the time, was given the same crash course as Usher so many years before. And like so many other artists that Diddy and L.A. Reid have signed. And it's just fucking crazy to me. And speaking of L.A. Reid, uh, this is this is his quote from his book about Justin Bieber. He said, at four on the dot, Usher walked into my office with this adorable 14-year-old boy. This kid was beautiful like a woman in a way that a woman can be beautiful, but men rarely are. And he turned it, he turned it on as soon as he stepped into the room. I could see immediately that Justin's hair would be very, but be every bit as important as his songs, his voice, his face, and his presence. Justin was simply beautiful and his superpower was his beautiful face. And that whole thing is just fucking crazy to me. I'm sorry, but it's fucking wild. And um, it's a really, really easy thing to find on the internet. Like that's like a, almost like a surface level blind item. That's like not even, it's such common knowledge on the internet that it's not really like uh, something that you have to like search for. Like literally if you Google Justin, if you Google Justin Bieber, Usher, Diddy, blind item, like you'll just see like 10 years worth of articles about how weird that is and how fucked up it is and how inappropriate. 
And it makes you look at those pictures of, like, early Justin Bieber, like, shirtless Justin era, where he's, like, an asshole, and he's, like, TPing people's houses and shit, of him in, you know, clubs with Diddy, you know, holding bottles of Ciroc and Crystal. It's like, wow, this kid, it's just, you know, it's just, it's sad, and it's crazy, and it's fucking weird, and it makes no sense. And if anybody wants to make it make sense to me, I would love that, but uh, as of right now, I'm, I feel very lost by it. Anyway, when Justin recorded his debut album, um, they had young Michael Jackson, Chris Brown, Usher, and Neo in mind, R&B inspired, with a heavy emphasis on pop. And it was really important that they market him heavily as a pop artist because it would make him literally the only person really catering to an entire genre from this unique perspective as a young male solo artist. And it's not like he was like, you know, like a a fiddling fucking rapper. Like he had some really weird niche market it was the most profitable market. I mean, how dumb was every record executive at this time that they didn't think to to try and release, you know, some music with some kid that looks like Justin Bieber? Because it is the most ravenous, profitable, obsessive market, teenage girls. And nobody was catering to teenage girls. And of course, like I said earlier, you had your Miley's and your Rihanna's and your Britney's, but you guys know it's different with it's different with like a male pop star. It's different with boy bands and it's different with young, you know, Aaron Carter's and Jesse McCartney's and all of that. It's just different. And the crazy thing about Justin is that because there was so much money invested in him and his success was such a guarantee for everyone involved. Um, like I said earlier, he never got to really experience a transition into becoming this, like, the most famous person in the entire world. It was overnight success in its literal form. I never say that literally, because there is always a slight transition. There was no transition for Justin Bieber. They released his single, and that day, he was the most famous person in the universe. He could no longer go outside and the sounds of screaming girls would become the soundtrack to his life for the rest of his life. Which, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I think is something he's really triggered by. We're obviously going to talk about, like, 2020, Justin, and, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I, I said already that I feel like he's really resentful of his success and that he sort of hates the fame that he occupies because it's just, he's a caged animal. And I don't know, like I still watch paparazzi videos. Like I still love a paparazzi video. Like it's 2006 and Justin Bieber has to have some of the most interesting, truly gut wrenching paparazzi videos of now, because he's not somebody who ever goes out hoping that the paparazzi follow him He's not one of these celebrities at this point in his life, not, I mean, I'm not saying that he's never been that person, but right now, he really is just sort of trying to go out and exist, and he always seems so, if you watch Justin Bieber's paparazzi videos, he actually is so humble and, like, down to earth and um, just, I don't know, like, he tries to negotiate with these men who show him absolutely no respect at all. 
And you'll find actually that a lot of the times when it comes to paparazzi, like the same paparazzi will follow a person for years. So like a publication or a blog will say like, you're hired to follow Miley because it's easier than having paparazzi all over the place all the time, not knowing where everybody is and, you know, missing things and fighting over the same person. So they're contracted to certain people. So it's like, you're on the Justin Bieber case, you and these 15 other guys, you know, keep in contact with them. They'll alert you. They'll text you when Justin's out, whatever. So he has this weird relationship with these paparazzi, these men that he's known for years that have been following him, literally some of them for like seven or eight years. And it's crazy having known him for that long and and having that sort of intimate of a relationship with him. They have no respect for him at all. And he begs and he pleads and he will stop his car and pull over and have these long, you know, really like remorseful conversations with these guys where he's like, look, like I'm going to go into the, the, this gym or whatever. And you got the picture and you got a video. So I'm leaving at four. Can you please just like not be here at four? I just want to like get to my car. Like you got the picture and I just, there's nothing, nothing more exciting is going to happen. I'm going to go home Um, and then can you also just today, I'm having a bad day. Can you not ask me about Selena Gomez? Those are the things he'll say. And the most respectful voice, like so well-mannered and the guys will be like, oh yeah, Justin, like for sure. Like, thanks for being so kind. And as soon as he leaves, they are standing there at four o'clock and immediately asking super inappropriate questions about Selena Gomez just to trigger him so that he may be tries to fight one of them or throws, you know, one of their cameras on the ground or, you know, acts in quotes, accidentally runs one of them over with his truck. And that's another thing that they'll do is, you know, he'll, they'll park, you know, they'll like stick their legs and shit and their feet under his car so that he runs them over. And then they fall to the ground and pretend that he's like this reckless psychopath. Um, it's just, it's really, really, really hard to watch. It's really sad and I literally look at Justin Timberlake like a 2020 elephant man. Like, I just think that he is the saddest character. His debut album charted at number six on Billboard, which gave him the strongest debut of the year. Um, but he was unfortunately beat out by Susan Boyle because it was 2009. And 2009 is the weirdest fucking year literally ever. Um, as a side note, like Susan Boyle's fame is the fame everyone should strive for. If you want to be famous... What you should do is wait until you're 47, don't give a fuck about your looks, and just occupy some weird contemporary music uh, category at 50 years old. 10 years later, Susan Boyle is literally swimming in money and doesn't give a fiddler's fook about what any of us think about her. She is wealthy, she's got her hair flat ironed, she has veneers, and she's living her absolute best life. It should also be noted that Justin's first official controversy came in the form of a video he filmed with one of his friends singing One Less Lonely Girl and replacing the word girl with the N-word. It's on TMZ. I I think it was like it resurfaced or something. I want to say like last year. Uh, Somehow it had absolutely no impact on his career. Um, If anything, it was like hidden and people like found it again and it reminds me of uh it reminds me of how Paris Hilton has like seven videos of her on the internet saying the n-word but apparently it's like it's fine because it's Paris and people just 
I guess, like, expect the worst from Paris. So it's like, eh. We're not going to cancel Paris Hilton because what would be the point? You know what I mean? But it is weird. Like, Paris Hilton has all these videos on the internet of her screaming the N-word. And it just kind of harkens back to, like, my thoughts on cancel culture, that it's completely illogical. It makes absolutely no sense. And everybody you cancel is terrible, but everybody you don't cancel is also terrible. You know what I mean? And it's like there are certain people that we don't cancel out of convenience. Like, it would be too inconvenient to cancel Paris Hilton. So it's okay that she says the N-word and that she hates gay people. It's like, whatever. Letter too much work um i'm gonna take a break from talking about justin bieber for a minute and transition over into introducing the other half of this um teenage love affair selena gomez i spend a large portion of my life being confused by selena gomez's career and her success and her fame and her public image and her ability to really do things, like I said earlier, under the noses of millions and millions of people who weirdly watch her every move, but somehow don't see the big picture. And it's especially weird in comparison to someone like Justin Bieber, who literally can't fart in public without the Daily Mail reporting it as breaking news. But somehow Selena Gomez is able to wild the fuck out and be addicted to coke and have this crazy drinking problem and nobody really seems to care. It's very, very weird. Um, I mentioned earlier that Selena and Justin were involved in some PR tomfoolery when they were first introduced to the industry. So I want to at least introduce that before we end the episode. I'm not sure how long this is going to go again, like I said, but uh, we'll see. So Selena was born and raised in Grand Prairie, Texas. Her parents are divorced. And when she was a kid, she stayed with her mom, Amanda, who was a former stage actress slash singer. Um, Selena's mom was 16 when she had her. So as I mentioned in the beginning, she and her mom struggled really big time and they kind of grew up together and um, they were really poor, like, as Selena has said many, many times in interviews, like walking to the gas station as a family to get spaghetti and meat sauce to split amongst the entire family poor. So like Troy poor, like current Troy poor, basically. Um, she told Glamour Magazine in 2012, I definitely didn't appreciate it when I was little. I w- it was frustrating that my parents weren't together and I never saw the light at the end of the tunnel where my mom was working hard to provide a better life for me. I'm terrified of what I would have become if I'd stayed there. I'm sure I'd have two children by now, probably. But I love the people, and I'm glad that I grew up there. It's because of my mom that I can do things on my own. I feel like being a... I I like being a professional. I like something... What? I like showing up on time. I like being good to people. And I know that I'm a reflection of her at the end of the day. I remember my mom would run out of the... Oh, fuck. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> I remember my mom would run out of gas all the time and we'd sit there and have to go through the car to get quarters to help her get gas because she never liked to ask my grandparents for money. Now, Selena Gomez's a e biography would have you believe, you know, much like many other pop stars that we've talked about, that Selena knew from a very young age that she wanted to be on film sets, that stardom, you know, was the thing that tugged at her heart. (laughs) Um, 
Like, literally show me a child who doesn't watch TV and say, oh, I want to do that. Like, of course, there are kids who are naturally good at acting and they are naturally good at having comedic timing and or singing or dancing or whatever. But this idea that four-year-olds hear a silent call from the stage that says, act, child, act. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. It's absurd to me. And you can try and convince me otherwise, but there are certain key words that stick out for me in any child star situation. The fact that her mother was a failed actress, red flag. They were dirt poor to the point that they were rolling quarters for gas and walking to the Dollar Tree to get noodles and shit and marinara sauce, red flag. She was doing commercials and pageantry starting at like three years old, red flag, bitch. Red flags popping up everywhere. Um, a quote from her mom. Her name is Mandy Tifay. Uh, she said she loved going to rehearsals with me. Uh, says Mandy, 33, who separated from Selena's dad, Ricardo, when Selena was five and married Ben Tifay in 2006. One night she started critiquing the actors and I thought, oh boy, here we go. It's like, I'm sure you did, gal. And it just makes me wonder, like, as a parent, where do your priorities lie? Like, when it comes to your child, if your kid is auditioning and doing pageants and starring in commercials, that means you're obviously spending a good amount of money on their career. And of course, it can be spun around that, you know, the moms are, you know, the parents, not just moms. I, I mean, there are stage dads, of course, that they're being selfless. And, you know, because their four-year-old Selena wanted to be an actress so bad that the family went without so that they could follow their, their her dream or whatever. But I just don't buy that. Like, it reminds me of... Lynn Spears talking about how she would roll quarters and shit to buy clothes for Brittany and Jamie and, and their, and, uh, and what's, what's Brittany, Jamie Lynn and Brian and Brian, you know, they, she's talked about how like, you know, they would eat possum and shit for dinner because if their dad didn't shoot something for them to eat, they just wouldn't eat because they had no money, but she somehow had enough money to put her daughter in expensive dance classes so your child isn't eating but she does know her plies I, I i just don't understand i don't get it also very different from justin's situation because as mentioned he posted videos online and was and fought over by justin timberlake and usher he wasn't taking hundred dollar tap dance classes and not eating dinner and that's not to say that his ch childhood was like you know, diamonds and rosé, but, uh, you get the point. Like, it's, it's just very strange to me. Um, Selena had always dabbled in, in auditioning, but her mom really leaned in when it came to, uh, her acting career when she turned seven and she tried out for the coveted role, um, on Barney and Friends at, in 1999, the coveted spot. Every child wanted it. And that's where she met Demi Lovato. She ended up being let go from Disney at, um, I'm sorry, from Barney, not Disney, at 13. What? <laughs> Fuck. I should have stopped at one hour. Going a little too long here, gals. Getting delusional. Getting loopy. Um, Let's start over. She ended up being let go from Barney when she turned 13. That's also not it. Wow. 
Should I turn it off? <laughs> Is this it? Selena Gomez was let go from Barney after 13 episodes because she had aged out of the show. Which, like, in 13 episodes, how the fuck do you age out of a TV show? How What does that even mean? I'm just confused by everything. Um, so she had cameos in Spy Kids 3D. She was in Walker, Texas Rangers TV film, Trial by Fire. And she also um, made a guest appearance on The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Which really changed her life. Um, from there, she was given uh, more Disney walk-on parts. She was on Hannah Montana. And uh, she was in a pilot that never took off that was supposed to be a spinoff of Lizzie McGuire that they wanted her to be the lead of. So she ended up auditioning for the lead in the Disney series Wizards of Waverly Place. And she was chosen for the role. And she, of course, moved to L.A. with her mom. And Demi Lovato and her mom actually followed them out to California in hopes to, like, achieve the same level of success. And her audition is also on YouTube. It's truly the top four cutest things I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Selena Gomez's audition for um, Wizards of Waverly Place. It's unbelievable. She's, like, wearing this little, like, remember when ponchos were a thing? Like, when they, like, came back, like, fleece ponchos, thanks to Jessica Simpson. So she's dressed like this little old woman wearing like a gray poncho with like a brooch on it. <laughs> it's just, it's cute. Um, now, according to the website that I mentioned earlier, the one that I mentioned is very anti-Selena Gomez and very pro-Justin Bieber. This is where Demi and Selena's relationship began to get interesting. And um, to be honest, I don't doubt this to be true. You know, given where we are now and like, we'll talk. But according to them, Demi and Selena's parents sort of forced them to be friends for obvious reason. But Selena was allegedly never very, never really nice to Demi. Like she was never genuinely really nice to her ever. And, you know, through like working together throughout the years, they did acquire a friendship eventually. But at the beginning, they they weren't, um, you know, like when, you're when your mom makes you play with somebody you don't want to play with and you're like, oh, you know what I mean? Like that feeling of being like, ugh, we don't like each other though. Like just because we're kids doesn't mean we're going to be friends. But these two allegedly did actually end up becoming friends. Um, and also they mentioned that during the peak of Demi's struggle with addiction, that uh, Selena was like very, very, very uh, not supportive and, and, and not there for her during that time. And that she really deserted her when she was at her, the peak of it just being terrible. And the same thing goes for Taylor Swift, who was a part of that group of girls during the time, if you recall. And um, I don't know, like, do you remember when, when Taylor and Selena would attend every award show together and white girl dance in the audience when they saw that they were about to be filmed, like they'd be snapping and acting like they were just having a little kiki girl party on their own? Um... And I can totally see Selena Gomez being super hypocritical about Demi's drug use while she's also snorting lines of coke or whatever is handed to her. Um, like that sort of checks out for me, but I guess we'll never know. I don't know. And there are one of my favorite like shady Demi moments is uh, like right after she had gotten her gap filled. <laughs> she and this is like right when Taylor and Selena had become friends. This paparazzi while she was signing autograph at signing autographs asked her about um Selena 
And she said, oh, he's a Demi. Like, how's Selena Gomez? And she goes, I don't know. You'll have to ask Taylor. And, like, that's the kind of passive-aggressive response that you give when you've been deserted by your friend. We all know that to be true. Like, I've done it. You've done it. When your friend deserts you and all of a sudden you see them hanging out with somebody else that maybe you don't care for or that isn't necessarily nice to you and you feel abandoned you say you say things like that you'll have to ask taylor i don't know i don't i don't know her anymore so ask taylor that's her new best friend ask taylor um but i also just wanted to say that like it's interesting like these girls occupy such an interesting space in pop culture for me because they grew up with the same pressures of female pop stars from my generation, but they were sort of the last of the Elm Street children in the sense that they were the final generation to grow up with the pressures of virginity and purity rings and being good, wholesome Christian girls. And I don't think Demi gets enough cry. I mean, you can say what you want about Demi. I know that like a lot of people find her irritating and disingenuous and that's a fair point, but I don't think Demi gets enough credit for being the one to really tear that whole thing to the ground by coming out and being honest about the fact that she was on drugs the whole time that she was struggling or that she was working with Disney and that she was struggling with, you know, mental health and alcoholism and body dysmorphia and eating disorders. Um, and that she was like having all this barely there sex with like seedy industry people unfortunately one that she ended up falling in love with for years and years but like you get what I mean she was really the person that one of the first Disney people if not the first Disney person on this scale to be like look I did that interview on cocaine that performance I don't remember I was too fucked up I was too drunk I hit that person in the face because I was so fucked up and so angry um I punched her you know just being really unapologetic and honest about like headlines and things that we read about and things that were speculated about now i want to end this week's episode by talking about uh selena and justin's pr relationship and um how they sort of got into it allegedly and again a lot of this information comes from that previously mentioned website and um as i said they really don't like selena gomez it's actually insane how much they don't like her um so again take this all with a grain of sand um, but when it comes to their, in, their actual relationship, they have a lot of really interesting information that you can't really dispute. So Bieber heads may recall that when Justin was a teenager, he dated a girl named Jasmine Vallejas, who was signed to Sony at 16 and she appeared in his music video for baby. She also like, I want to say she sang a song with him. And on his first tour, she was like brought up on stage to sing this song with him every week or um, every night during the tour. So according to Jasmine, she and Justin dated, but were told that they needed to keep it a secret, of course. And I think she told the press some bullshit about how like Justin didn't want her to say anything because it would break the hearts of the believers or whatever. They obviously told them to lie about it because, as we've established, all decisions are to be made through the team. And anything that happens outside of, you know, what they can control, there's going to be some major consequences for. As in, like, his parents' cash flow may stop coming in. You know what I mean? And uh, it's crazy to think that this kid, like, this kid who we at the time saw as this, like, rebellious little fucker 
was living under these psychotic restraints. Like what teenage boy wouldn't act out in horrific ways if you're being told you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't say that and you have to say this and you have to say that. All of these things that you don't really mean, it's it's crazy. And then to find out that your parents are being paid to brainwash you into doing what the label wants you to do is also fucking insane. They ended up being caught making out in the backseat of a car in September of 2012, which led to people asking them about, you know, their relationship constantly. And to this day, it's basically the only thing that this girl is known for, that she was Justin Bieber's girlfriend. Um, they were photographed on vacation together, and um, she was with him, like I said, during the, the his first tour. Now, during the same time, it's being speculated by the press that Justin and Selena are maybe dating because they've been photographed together a couple times. But at this particular point, it hasn't been set up yet by their teams. There's no contract signed. There's nothing determined. They're mostly going on talk shows and being coy about it for attention, which obviously leads to more press. Um, I watched like six Selena Gomez interviews in a row during the same period where she gives the same sort of baiting answers each time she's asked about him. You know, it's just like hoping that the interviewer does that Ellen DeGeneres bullshit of like trying to like jokingly get you to admit that you're in a relationship with somebody famous and having the video maybe go viral the next day. Um, another thing, by the way, that strikes me is an immediate red flag. If you go on the Ellen show and you're coy about whether you are or aren't dating somebody and like baiting, this is obviously set up and I fucking hate that bullshit. So cut to Justin and Selena having these horrifically staged moments out in public that are supposed to look candid, but they're kids and they've both been famous for like a year. So they're not necessarily experts on pulling this shit off. And I'm, I, it's very hard to look at. It's very uncomfortable. They just look like awkward kids trying to get the attention of adults. Like, they don't know what they're doing. And Selena later admitted um, sort of by accident during an interview that Scooter Braun contacted her mom and asked her mom if they could be, if they could meet because Justin has a crush on her and uh, he wants to, to hang out with her and go on a date with her. AKA Scooter reached out to her mom, who was a stage mom and said, can you, um, can we get a contract going so that your daughter is in a contractually obligated relationship with the biggest pop star in the world? And her mom said, absolutely. fucking lutely <laughs> I'll get the, the shackles ready and we will, uh, for sure, let's get it done. Let's get it popping. Um, and this is so fascinating. Like the thing about PR relationships that I don't think I mentioned enough last week or the week before in some cases, the people involved don't necessarily start off maybe genuinely liking each other, but they do grow fond of each other over time. And to me, this is, uh, it's slightly comparable to like your mom setting you up with her friend's son because he's cute and he's a doctor. You know what I mean? And it's like, maybe there's no chemistry there at first, but over time, something happens. And it just makes sense to me that maybe this didn't start off like organically and this was all bullshit at first. But these kids did eventually end up having some sort of like attachment to one another. So these staged photo ops continued fake candid moments on vacation, fake kissing, 
you know, moments of the paparazzi zooming in with these like apparently like Mission Impossible cameras and being able to somehow get very clear shots of their phone backgrounds, which showed photos of them holding each other and kissing. Them sending each other little like love notes and I miss you's and I love you's on Twitter, you know, in very public, um, public forums where they could like text each other. Hey, I miss you. But they're like doing it on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like just like so blatant, just so obvious. Um, and by the way, still denying to the press that they're dating for the ultimate fan obsession. It sent these kids into fucking crazy tailspins. And the public outings began to coincide with album releases and song releases. What do you know? Selena Gomez has a new album coming out and she and Justin would end up making out on a yacht or grabbing each other's butts at the mall in front of hundreds of people that are following them and taking pictures. And, you know, if Justin had a new project coming out, what do you know? A couple days prior, they were seen swinging at the park and holding each other's hands while the paparazzi gets these perfect photos of them you know, eating ice cream and walking pinky and pinky or, you know, pointing at the cameras and laughing because they can't, they can't get us and stop our love. You know what I mean? Just like absolutely ridiculous carrying on shenanigans. In a nutshell, they took the Britney and Justin approach to garnering the maximum amount of press. They were placed together and didn't not have an attraction to each other. Um, but at its core, they were doing this for the publicity. Um, they played it off to the media to gain more attention, but still, you know, sat together at award shows. They even pulled the Britney and Justin Teen Choice Awards Will They Kiss moment at the iHeartRadio Awards. And um, they got up on stage and said, like, we should date sometime. You know, another red flag. Like, it's the same thing Kristen Stewart and Rob Pattinson used to do that they were forced to do many times of like winning an award that they've already been told they're going to win and then going up on stage and like having to do some quick little skit about their possible relationship. Just ridiculous. Um, I have never wanted to stop talking so much. My mouth is literally so dry. The only thing I've had to drink today is coffee like seven hours ago. Um, I'm tired. My throat hurts, of course, because what else is new? And uh, that stuttering Stanley moment a little bit earlier really shook me and threw me a little bit. I'm a little bit off my game, I feel. But yeah, that was uh, part one of Selena Gomez and just <laughs> and Justin Bieber. I almost said Justin Timberlake. I have to get off the mic. Um, again, I'm going to keep the mailbag episode open because you guys have had so much to say about the fake celebrity couple stuff that I want you to... Email me, like, couples that you think could be fake. Like, that's a fun thing that I want to hear from you because maybe I'm forgetting couples and maybe I, there are couples that I should be talking about that I don't, I'm not picking up on or that I don't follow. So send me couples that you think are could possibly be PR relationships, couples that you think that I may have been wrong about would be interesting. I would love to hear that. Um, and also, you guys send me so many DMs about it that I'm going to probably be reaching back out to you and just asking if I can read your DMs on the show, if you like uh, would allow me to do that. And uh, yeah, that was it. Episode 129 of The Smush Room. I love you very, very much. And um, I will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Smush Room, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. 
Also be sure to head over to patreon.com slash ebpsychos for more information on this show and other Patreon exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McEady. That's T-R-O-Y-M-C-E-A-D-Y. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.